Welcome to Wisdom Talk Radio, a collaborative community of explorers in conscious living. Do you want to know how you can connect what you do in the world of work with the fullness of who you are and in turn have a greater impact on the world? Stay tuned because that's the heart of the wisdom that we'll be exploring in today's episode of Wisdom Talk Radio with my guest, Jessica Hartung. I'm Laurie Seymour, host of Wisdom Talk Radio, founder of The Baca Journey, and mentor guide for those who are on the cusp of their next step, personally, professionally, spiritually, because you know that there is more for you and you want to know how to connect with the answers that await you when you go inside, because these are the answers that will guide and sustain you. I met Jessica Hartung a few years ago and immediately, We started having this most amazing conversation, and every time we have been together, it has been like that. So I am thrilled to have her on, and I want to say, hold on to your hats, hold on to your whatevers, because you get to to be with us in a way that we love being with each other. Jessica Hartung has a passion for inspiring and equipping people to grow from their work and improve their lives. In 1998, she founded Integrated Work, a consulting firm that brings top-notch professional development to mission-driven leaders, while being, at the same time, a learning laboratory for innovative work practices. Integrated Work focuses on growing leaders personally, professionally, and collectively, using an integrated, heartfelt blend that elevates work experiences into the training ground for change-making leadership. Now, Jessica is working to make the same top-tier professional development that organizational clients enjoy available to all who seek it. Jessica is the author of the just-published book, The Conscious Professional, Transform Your Life at Work. In this book, she outlines the micro-identity shifts that turn work into a learning laboratory, helping to build the leadership capacity needed to solve our workplaces and world's most challenging problems. Welcome, Jessica. I am so thrilled to be here with you. Ah, right back at you. I am as well, Lori. It truly is a pleasure. And Fun that uh, we get to share this conversation publicly. We have such good conversations. (laughs) So one of the things we were just talking about as, as we were just saying kind of, hi, how are you and what's happening is how the questions that we've always ended up asking of each other are questions that are bigger than ourselves. They're questions that, are, that go beyond who each of us are. And that I hope that as listeners can tune in with us and are willing to kind of make the journey with us. Yes. Because the questions are such that they open doors. And there's always doors that are you know, waiting to be open for each of us. Yes, yes. So I, I love your focus on work and 
the years that you have really spent and you've dedicated your life to your, your life and your, your work life to exploring how we can work in ways that transforms us and transforms the world. Why do you think it's so important that people use their work experiences to grow themselves? Mm, yes. Well, I was, um, you know, there are so many different aspects of our communities and in our, um, you know, we see in lots of places that folks are saying, hey, we ought to stand up with greater consciousness in how we approach this issue, sustainability, and how we approach this issue, you know, the um, gender relations, and how we approach this issue in our politics. There's lots of different realms that folks are saying, we really need to use this as a force for good. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we align what we're doing, our actions with our values? And so I thought, you know, where is it that we spend most of our waking adult hours? Where is the crux of our training ground for dealing with difficult collaborative issues that require multiple perspectives and require higher levels of mind? Actually, we've got these case studies right in front of us at work, and, and they're high stakes, and so people are kind of all the good, juicy emotions right in there, and you can really see the results of your efforts because so much of work is measured, and people actually look at it in a way that there brings a lot of awareness and consciousness to our interactions because there's visibility, and, and there's uh, projects that kind of cycle through so we can kind of see how something begins and ends. And our ability to have discretion in this particular period in human history around work, we have a lot of discretion in how we use our voices, how we use technology, how we use our presence, what we can influence in our work experience is pretty big for most people, but they're not really using that discretionary um, capability because no one's really told them that that's the point of work. Mm -hmm. You know, we thought the point of work was having a job and getting an income and it certainly is, but it's so much more. And the reason I felt it was so important is because it's accessible to, you know, just about everyone. Mm -hmm. They can influence and build their ability to influence in this case study so that then when they want to influence a cause, a po you know, something in their community they care about, they already have the skills. And you know, this actually was prompted by my own experience in our community here in Boulder, where mm -hmm. I thought, you know, here I am, leadership development expert, working with people all around the country to make their communities better, public health, safety, lots of issues. And in my own community, there is a need for citizens to stand up. And I was deathly afraid of standing up in front of the, you know, council of members. And there's all these issues and things to learn about. And I thought, gosh, you know, and I'm, I'm at this level in my career and this mm -hmm. is this hard to do yes. a good job, to yes. be thoughtful and conscious about how I communicate around issues that are very stimulating with lots of emotions. And there's press and there's all kinds of dynamics. So I realized that actually that is the point of work. It's to grow ourselves, 
not just so that we can advocate in our community, but to grow ourselves, period, because that's how we grow up another level in our communication with our family members, in our capabilities, in our uh, connections with our friends, in resolving differences. You know, we have so much opportunity for training and learning what leaders really do, you know, looking out for the whole, not my own self-interest. And that uh, made me feel that folks shouldn't leave it to chance. Like we don't want to wait until someone else says, hey, you're a high potential leader. How about if you come and get this really good development? I don't think we need to wait. I think we can actually do that right now. There's no one stopping us. Except perhaps ourselves. Right. And, 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 it, and the lack it, of awareness. Yeah. So, so you bring out two things. Well, you bring out one thing around awareness that I think is so important. Is, well, it's essential. And the other then is the willingness to not doubt ourselves because doubt ends up creeping in and saying, well, I think I could, but maybe I really can't. Yeah. Yeah. How do you see that playing out? You know, it's interesting because I think that the question of that comes up a lot in, in the literature is around how people feel about work. What's our relationship with work and that doubt, has really colored our relationship with work because we don't feel free to assert ourselves or our ideas and we don't know if we can or we should. And, and so I think that the approach of running experiments gets us further along the path of building our confidence over time. Otherwise, how do we get out of that? You know, like, let's say, maybe I wonder if I could lead, but I don't know. Well, the way we want to figure that out is by actually making experiments because it's not an either or like you are a leader or you're not. We all are have capabilities and we can all grow better. And I have not yet met a leader who is not working an effective leader, a high character leader who's not working on growing their ability to create positive impact through and with others mm -hmm. for a, you know, a, um, a good that's bigger than themselves and and workplaces you know sure it might be uh, about a, an issue that isn't quite as motivating as it would be if it were something that you had chosen to a cause to to stand behind but the mechanics are pretty much the same and so if you can learn the mechanics around how to um, speak, how to organize, how to project manage, how to uh, connect with what's really important, um, how to have a vision, how to align people towards that vision or facilitate. Those skills are transferable skills. Mm -hmm. And how we get the confidence is we build our set of transferable skills, our kind of our personal portable skill bank mm -hmm. that we can then bring out what if we have a difficult conversation amongst our family members? You know, actually, it's the same set of skills. Mm -hmm. And I also learned it works the other way. You know, when I learn how to really listen and connect with family members and understand multiple perspectives, that actually applies at the office as well. Yeah. You know, so, so it's, it's about growing higher levels of mind wherever we are. And people spend a lot of time at work. So it's a great place to build that capacity. And from that capacity, we can build our confidence. So it's, it's what we could call our um, uh, transformational capital. So to speak. Yes, exactly. And, and in your book, I noticed that you speak about it you, uh, in one way or one place as um, the third paycheck. 
Yes. I, I, you know, it came from the question of what makes work fulfilling. So, so we've, we talk about work as, you know, in, in one mindset, it's something that we're required to do to quote unquote, pay the rent. You know, we have a financial paycheck. That's a reason to go to work. But what we've also found is that, that it's true that um, people don't find that sufficiently engaging and fulfilling. Right. So, so what do they find fulfilling? Well, you know, the connections, the causes, the things they're working on that makes a positive difference. There's an emotional paycheck. And sometimes people are willing to take less financial paycheck mm-hmm. so that they can get the second paycheck, the emotional paycheck. Like I feel good about working with you. I feel good when we work on this topic. I like what my company stands for. Those are all kinds of feelings and emotions that are connected to work. And they are part of our portfolio of what do we get out of work? Well, how is it fulfilling to us? But I don't think it goes further enough. So the first paycheck being financial, the second paycheck being feeling, what was really missing for me was the third paycheck, the growth the development, the skills that are transferable to anywhere in our lives that we take with us forever, regardless of how we felt about it, that felt that feeling kind of, you know, it's a nice memory, but it's not present with us. It doesn't carry through But the skills and capabilities that carry through. So it's a way that we can create great fulfillment. And, and it turns out that people are hungry for learning and development and growth personally and professionally at work. 87% of millennials indicate that they believe workplaces are places for personal and professional growth. It is a huge shift in a sea change kind of way around, oh, work is, yes, to accomplish the objectives of the company, but it's also to have a fulfilling life. And we grow ourselves to have increasingly fulfilling lives by being able to influence the things we care about. Yeah. And, and in order to grow, I, I, I feel like this is across the board, we need, to be, we need to be at our growing edge. We need to be pushing beyond the boundaries of who we think we are, maybe sometimes leaving behind something that we thought we wanted to be or thought, we, or thought that that was who we were so that we can enter that place that maybe feels a bit unknown and, and maybe be a little scared and a little uncomfortable, but that's where we get to embrace and find out about those places in us that we hadn't yet discovered. You uh, said it so beautifully, that developmental edge is edgy, you know, it feels uncomfortable. Sometimes it feels terrifying. But just because it brings up those um, challenges to our brain, which so loves the certainty, you know, it just loves to be right, to know, to be clear, to, you know, so that idea of moving away further from what is unknown and unsure um, be, starts to make our world really small. Yeah. And so I think that part of the reason why we go through the emotional risk, if you will, of investing in ourselves out near that edgy part mm-hmm. is because we believe that something is calling to us. Something is asking us to step in more assertively and make change, to make 
a better world. Mm-hmm. You know, when I ask folks, what are you here for? They almost always have an inner purpose, mm-hmm. something that, you know, really matters to them. And as I've studied, how does character and purpose develop? Frequently, what we find is, is they started at a young age. They realized they needed to take responsibility or they saw an injustice and they decided they were going to work on it. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine uh, works on the juvenile justice system and developed a very innovative program. I actually talk about it in the book, Sale Future, where uh, bringing uh, kids who have been in the juvenile justice system onto sailboats as a way of helping them access the skills and the responsibility and build mm-hmm. their own sense of purpose. Mm-hmm huge shift from what, you know, the juvenile justice system was doing. And when I asked him, you know, why are you focused on working with these at-risk youth? And he said, because I was one. Mm. And I realized that's the kind of impetus for the mission that then leads people to say, I may not believe in myself yet. I may still be in development. I may be, you know, a thousand times imperfect, but I can grow. And that's what's so liberating about the science that has shown that yes, all throughout our lives, we can grow. We are not fixed as we are. So when we grow on that edge, when we choose the edge to get right up to where it's scary and uncomfortable and, you know, frequently uh, brings me to tears when I'm right up at that edge because I just, you know, I, I don't know yet. I have to learn it and I have to experiment and that means failing and sometimes it means exhilarating stretches and so you just don't know what you're going to get because it's beyond your ability uh, beyond your your viewpoint but we do that work because we're growing ourselves into someone who can really follow our own guidance about what we're here for in life yeah and the willingness to do that is is breathtaking really because we think we're we're moving through the stages of our career to become an expert at something, to become so good that you know no one will question us and we'll get to do what we want to do. Yes. And that's the joke. Because, <laughs> it, you know, for me, as soon as I become, I don't know that I've ever become an expert at something, someone else might say that, I feel like I am pushed, pulled, moved into a place where I feel like I don't know anything. And it's both liberating and terrifying because I have to let go of what I knew or what I thought I knew. And it's not like that's not still there within me, but it, it's like a new door is opened up and I have to be willing to step through and say, well, what is this landscape and what am I needing to bring to this landscape? Yes. And it creates such an adventure. Yes. And, you know, it really is. It's like choose your own adventure books that we had when we were little. Like, where will I choose? Mm-hmm. And and the the concept that we have that much authorship of our own lives, um, I think, is part of where that fulfillment connects. Um, you mentioned willingness, and I would love to talk a little bit about the awareness, willingness, skill development cycle, because mm-hmm. I found that it's a real help for folks. You know, if, if you are thinking, all right, you know, I want to grow my capabilities. I want to advance to have more influence, whether it's in my organization or my team or an organization, you know, a career that I'm just building. 
being acquainted with the kind of dynamics of how growth happens is really useful if you're in charge of your own growth. Mm-hmm. So the cycle, I, you know, I used, um, it was actually based on, on a, a variety of different sources of research. And there were a lot of different steps about how do people make change and how do people direct themselves or, or allow a practitioner to direct them to make change. And, and I tried to really simplify it into a, a format that people could use in their work experiences. And, and what I notice is that it's a cycle just as you describe, and it goes awareness is the first step, willingness and skill. And as we're building new skills, it opens up that door that you were des- describing like a new mm-hmm. area, and then we have a new level of awareness because we'd never seen that before. And then we have to you know, kind of decide, are we gonna do anything about that awareness? Is there something here for us? And learning about willingness has a lot to do with what we're saying yes to and what we're saying no to. And not everything is for us. You know, in order to preserve our ability to do our work, we can't do it all. We have to choose sometimes. Where are we going to invest? Mm-hmm. Even, even if we have a brilliant idea, that is so true because we can get off track so quickly with, with the, the, not just the next bright, shiny thing, which is one level of what can draw us, it can be our own inner response. Oh, I see something that needs to be done. Maybe I'm the one that needs to do it. But if, yes. we're, if we're willing to go inside and spend a little quiet time with ourselves to see, to ask the question, is this mine to do? I love that question. That you yes. And that checking with that inner wisdom around our priorities. You know, let's just take that for a moment as a great example. Most of us have too many things to do. Mm-hmm. and not enough time. Mm-hmm. And I have, you know, for years trained people about, you know, how do you uh, sequence and moderate and integrate? And there are lots of strategies, but I had more recently added uh, a final strategy that I think trumps all the others, mm-hmm. which is really listening within. Yeah. Because there are things that we want to connect to in terms of our intuition, our gut feeling, our unconscious and sometimes are just settling ourselves down enough so that we can actually connect to our values. <laughs> you know, so if we have ethics and character that we've built over time, but we forget to apply that when we're making decisions, it's not very useful to us. So we really want to be able to have a little mental space, a pause between our reaction and our decisions and the stimulus that come at us. We have to make a little space yes. so that we can actually ask, oh, what is important about this? And based on that, then choose what we're willing to do. Mm -hmm. And with that comes the ability and the willingness to trust, to trust that there is a part of us, for me, that's that's that presence within, that that does know, you know, and and that's there for everybody. It's not like, um, it's only there for some of us, but everybody has that aspect in themselves that does know, but we do have to create that space. And without the space, we just keep pushing and we become the unconscious professional. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, and, you know, the, the concept of partnering internally that way has been on my mind a lot. And, and in part, it's probably because I've been building business partnerships. 
Mm-hmm. And in business partnerships, you really have this alignment where you're looking, what's really important to this other person and how do I honor everything they bring and the, the things that are, um, you know, uh, that they care about yeah. and not lose the things that I care about. How do we create solutions where we're really, neither is subservient to the other, but they're actually connecting, reinforcing, and helping to build one another? Mm -hmm. That is a beautiful partnership. And so learning how to do that, wherever it is you learn, if you learn in in a a life partner, you might learn in a business partner, you might learn in a a teammate and how you partner and, and work together. But I'm trying to establish that same kind of partnership internally with my own sense of conscious wisdom. So how can I listen to the still small voice as a partner in my life Yeah, and in my mission? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because there's nothing too big or too small to listen. Yes. Yeah. Before we started um, the recording today or our talk today, we were talking about partnership and surrender. And I said, oh, well, we won't talk about that on the, on the, you know, <laughs> the <conversation>. however, <laughs> for me, that partnership is so essential to remember and that, that surrender is not, does not go against that. When I think of surrendering to presence within, I know that presence needs me to manifest whatever it is that I'm going to do to take action. So my personality is, is the way in which presence it gets to express itself in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. And I want to know that, you know, there is this partnership. We can call it a sacred partnership, if you will. But it's a partnership that, that actually makes life work. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I, I, I think about applying what we know applying what really matters to us. Mm -hmm. And that application, I think, is what, um, it's one thing to have uh, values, to have a mission, to to say or to communicate to others what's important to us. And it's another to actually live into that. And so living into that, I think we need partners of a variety of different Mm -hmm. types. We need this physical form to be with us and we have to accommodate what it needs. It needs sleep. It needs um, exercise to, to be a long standing effective partner in our life's work. We need our physicality Mm -hmm. and we need our spirit. We need our, our intellect. And, And so bringing together these different parts in a way that are seated in alignment towards mm-hmm. what really matters to us when we listen deeply. Yes. This feels whole. This is this is satisfying to people. It's not just that we should do it. This is what gives people joy and gives them that sense that I am on purpose with my life. Yes. yes. So that's what we're looking for when we say a conscious professional. I mean someone who's bringing their expanded awareness of what really matters and applying it in your work, in your interactions with others. Mm -hmm. And this is a lifelong journey of ever more conscious, ever more present, and 
probably also ever more professional <laughs> in yeah. learning yeah. how do we become that which uh, can integrate these areas and be effective at all of these different things at once. Because this is how the change that we know is needed in the world is going to happen. And that, that feels like what, what you've just been speaking to is the, the essence of collaboration. There's that internal collaboration. And then there's how does that then work in, in partnership in the world? Yes, yes. And, you know, when you mentioned surrender and, and I, I've been working with mission-driven professionals, you know, for the last 20 years. These mm -hmm. are folks who have committed to something that really matters to them. I particularly have worked a lot in public health, in education, um, in housing, in other areas where folks are driven by a social cause mm -hmm. that deeply matters to them. And, and it's a black hole of need. I mean, they could never give enough to, to shift it entirely. So they have surrendered to moving as much as they can, changing as much, influencing, being a part of one part of a larger shift that's underway. And so that commitment to being of service it's interesting and ironic that it becomes actually so fulfilling as it gives back to mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. That is, you know, my mentor, Francis Hesseline, says to live is to serve. Mm -hmm. And to serve is to live. Yeah. You know, this is, this is integrated into who and what we are. And going through our lives that way is, uh, you know, a... It's a choice that we make. It's a conscious choice. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage people to make that conscious choice during their work days, as well as they might in other parts of their life. And there are lots of other folks who are helping people connect and raise their consciousness up in other parts of their life. But it's like we forgot where we spend most of our time. <laughs> This is the part that I feel really compelled about. And yeah. I want to use the workplace as the means to build the ethical, high character leaders, we need to not destroy this planet, not destroy okay. what really matters to mm -hmm. us. And I don't think we have enough seasoned leaders ready to move forward. It's been a fabulous and covering of leadership from all walks of life as we've, uh, in this last political process, where more and more people are saying, well, why not me? Mm -hmm. How about if I step up? And how do I build the skills to do that? And, and that's what we want. We want folks who are driven by purpose and character and making it a better world for all. Those are the folks you want to put in charge. You don't want to put bullies in charge. But bullies have had, had opportunities to build some, you know, kind of uh, skills that, that put them in the front of the room or give them an authoritative voice. And we need to have a lot more people who have the ethics and character stepping up and stepping in and changing the systems so that they work better. And, you know, if you can't change your team, if you can't change the little things that you're already engaged in, that's a great training ground. It's like training wheels. You're working there to build the skills and then you can apply it in, in wherever it is that you are trying to make change. So seeing that connection for me was transformative. It truly, you know, that's why we the subtitle is transform your life at work because it changes the game. 
I thought we were playing this game at work. Oh, no, no, actually, this is the game we're playing. We're playing grow your leadership, use everything that's happening that's coming your way to build your skills so you can fulfill the purpose that you feel born to, to, to fulfill. Yeah. And your book, The Conscious Professional, Transform Your Life at Work, comes in to really show people how to do that. That, it, that it's, it's not just an idea, but let's take some real practical ways and this is how you do it. And so, you know, I know as a coach, you've seen a lot of leaders, you know, develop, they stumble, they recover. So what advice do you have for those who right now are in our listening audience are feeling like they're in a tough spot? Mm, yeah, this is the rich stuff because when we're in a tough spot, frequently it creates kind of an internal disruption. We, we can feel that, you know, we're being pulled in multiple ways or, uh, you know, we have a challenge. Uh, someone may have brought something new into our awareness. Uh, I'm going to give an example of a recent client who, you know, was told that her communication was not impactful. This this really disrupted her because she's wanting to be seen as a leader, more of a leader. She's wanting to really influence uh, uh, policy and how things are happening. And she's finding that, that she's not having the impact she wants. And when someone shared that with her, it confirmed what she already knew. And that created a lot of feeling like I've got to do something different, but I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So being able to kind of be at that place, like I'm willing to make a change. And, and when that willingness to make a change, you know, we become aware of something, we start mm-hmm. to, to notice our willingness, then we're gonna move into exploration. Like what are the options? And I find that this is a critical point because folks have come to me in many different settings and say, well, I either am going to go back to school or just, you know, stick it out and retire at a time, you know, in the future. And I've have to make up my mind and it's a bad choice. Like option A, I don't like, and option B, I don't like, but I'm going to force myself to make a choice. And that's a really interesting stance. Like, why do we set ourselves up that way? So (laughs) it would, you know, like that sense of a, of a dichotomous choice that we're feeling like, what our willingness is telling us is that we need to make a change. And then we translate that into a choice where we don't like either option. This is a dynamic I feel like people do for themselves a lot. And I would like to encourage you, if you're in that place where you're feeling motivated, like you're ready to make some kind of shift because this is not quite working for you and you're feeling like you can really feel that pressure, desire for shifting. Instead of trying to make a big choice of this or that, look at what are creative options that exist that help you partner with the different parts of yourself. So my guess is that an idea and an option generating really is much more effective than trying to push yourself into a decision too soon. So you can kind of relax that, no, you don't need to decide right now. Right now, probably what you want to do is have a full range of great options to choose from. And then you can make your choice. So when you go within, when you are trying to debate about this or think about it, what you're looking for is not to make a decision. 
but to get better options. And that changes the questions you ask mm-hmm. of yourself, of those around you. It changes all of it. And when you start to change the questions, you actually literally start to shift your reality because those options were not available for you before because you couldn't see them. Not because they didn't exist, but because you weren't aware of them. So that's my biggest, I guess, first step for someone who is feeling disrupted, has stumbled, has, you know, is, is not sure what to do. Is It's really a challenging situation. Start to make sure that you're generating good options by asking questions of yourself and others about how can we satisfy the different needs that you and others have and start to look for that. I have a shorthand for it. You know, what win works, you know, like (laughs) what what possibly could be created that would really be a, a win on lots of different fronts and that it works. It's practical. It can be implemented. And, and that's a strategic thinking move. Actually, it's a really great training ground, even though no one likes to hear that, that when they're in the middle of a problem, that this is really good for you. <laughs> but in some ways, you know, that's why we have case studies when we train people, right? Because we want them to experience that sensation of a challenge that really matters and kind of get into it and then have to look at the different options and create new solutions that are more innovative because they've taken a moment to say, I think let's find a great option. There's got to be a better way. And we're starting with a question of let's make it, what way would be better? What way would satisfy multiple? What, how else could we combine these ideas? And those kinds of questions start to reveal good choices. And then it's not so angsty. Then it's more like, oh, I see a path forward. And when I check in with my inner guidance, yeah, I feel like this is the path I should be on. Yes. And when you don't feel that, it's time to generate more options. That, and that's the key place is recognizing or believing and starting from the assumption that there, is, there are multiple possibilities, multiple pathways, multiple options. I just don't know what they are right now. And I'm willing to take some time to see what they are. Exactly. Instead of feeling like you have to choose between these two things and that's all that she wrote, there is no other options. (laughs) When you both feel bad, you know there's something else. Right. I would not listen to that voice as as strongly. That's Mm -hmm. a voice that's coming from a place of, you know, concern and fear Mm -hmm. and and urgency and all those, we can respect those, but we don't want to be locked into making choices without having good options to choose from. Well said. (laughs) Yeah, and, and it's surprising to me how that, that has helped. Um, I don't know if you uh, know, but when I was really trying to decide how am I going to write a book, run a consulting practice, raise a family, and, and still like not actually deplete my life force, mm-hmm. <laughs> and which I don't know if I did any of those particularly well, but I sure did try you know, to manage those different parts of my life. And I think frequently... I would fall into traps because I didn't stop and say, you know, actually I could renegotiate this and that would free me up to be able to be there for my kid or I could do this and that would allow me to travel at this time or I'm going to have to say no to this client. And as I've gotten better at, at generating options and, and having more um, 
and actually is flexibility and capability. Like, oh, I don't know if I could tell the client that it won't be me and I'm going to need to have that be a different consultant. Well, of course I can. That's growing up professionally. Mm -hmm. And I just, it took a little while for me to grow up professionally. Clients are happy to have us do whatever it is that's really going to work for them and work for us, you know. So clients don't want us to hurt ourselves for them. Of course not. But that takes a level of professional maturity to negotiate that and build an option that works for everyone involved. And so from a leadership level or from a personal management level or from a team management level, that skill set mindset is what we're growing at work. And it, it helps us throughout our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I, I know that um, people are going to want to know how to connect with you. And while it'll be in the show notes and all of that, could you let them know how to reach your website? Because I know you also have some kind of a, a weekly professional development email. I do. I've just started doing this and I'm thrilled because we're building a community of folks who are interested in these questions of how do I apply what really matters to me, my values, my ethics, when I'm going through my workday? How do I do that? And, and what are examples of the ways in which people do that? And so I've been actually particularly collecting uh, right now some questions that have come up for people. Um, uh, an interesting one that came up was, what if I am working a lot of um, overtime because I want to learn things? Is that me taking initiative or is my company taking advantage of me? I thought, what a great question. Let's dig into that. So these are the kinds of juicy questions that we address and how people grow deliberately from work. And at jessicahartung.com, there's a sign up for anyone who wants to just, if you enter your email, you'll be a part of the weekly professional development tips that I've been sharing. And then also consciousprofessional.com. So all one word, consciousprofessional.com. That's information about the book. And there is also um, assumed to be a course and uh, a blog. So we would love to uh, get connected with others who are interested in these topics. I think it's going to start to be really fulfilling for folks to hear from each other. And we are building some platforms uh, to do that because I think sharing our stories of how we're growing this is the, the, you know, where we really see the juice, you know, this is yes. the change. We're making these little micro shifts to build our capability as leaders so we can go out and do the things that really matter to us and have the kind of impact that we desire on, to make a difference. I love this. And I'm so glad that you are doing this work in the world, Jessica, because it's, it's needed and, it, and it's timely. Mm, thank you. Lori, I feel the same way about you and the way in which we connect into ourselves and the means to do that is really the basis of how we're conscious professionals in the world. Yeah, and conscious beings in the world. Yes, and no conscious difference. beings. They, there really isn't. It's just doing that over here and doing this over there. <laughs> but fortunately, we're the same person wherever we go, right? Exactly, exactly. Thank you so much, Jessica Hartung, for your wisdom, uh, for sharing your journey. And uh, I hope that people will go out and buy your new book, The Conscious Professional, Transform Your Life at Work. And thank you, our listener, for being with us today at Wisdom Talk Radio. 
Join us here regularly for more wisdom, discovery, and illumination of your journey. Remember, you can find us on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, Google, TuneIn, and more. And for more illumination and inspiration for your life journey, find me, Laurie Seymour, over at thebacajourney.com. Thanks for joining us here at Wisdom Talk Radio. We wish you well in your conscious explorations. For more information and to join in the conversation, our website is wisdomtalkradio.com or at Wisdom Talk Radio on Facebook.